The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 37 Nor Constellation Burn October 2002 Sam and I each took a tray and headed across the patio, through the garden, and back toward the greenhouse. The walk felt full of anticipation. It was ridiculously slow because we were trying to balance trays of glasses while walking through sand. And it felt even slower because I couldn't wait to see what Lana had pulled off. I could hear the occasional rustle of ocean bats and the small birds that liked to perch in the seagrass. They still seemed to have a home here, and I took comfort in that. If there were still small, fragile things living here in this town and in this world, then maybe the rest of us would be okay too. The sand shifted under my feet, and I found myself watching the path closely in order to steady my steps. I was paying such close attention to the ground that I didn't notice the greenhouse until we were just outside. Lana had completely changed everything. Even from the outside, I could see the flames from the candles painted against the interior of the greenhouse— It was as if the panels had become vibrant stained glass, dancing in golds and reds and pinks. There were strands of lights hung around the ceiling panels, and Lana had even painted the door in a smattering of stars and moons and comets. The warm chatter surrounded us as we approached the door. Sam shifted his tray to one hand and opened the door with the other. Reed and I followed him into the greenhouse, and I paused for a moment to look at the door. It had a Van Gogh sort of vibe to it, with fiery orbs of starlight studding a sky alive with motion and color. Some of the stars were the typical golden white, but others were pale blue and purple and green. I wondered again how much Crown and Sam had told Lana about my dream. I felt my stomach nod at the sight and silently commended Lana's evil genius. October 2007 By some stroke of anti-luck, I hit the water just as I opened my eyes. The last thing I see before I'm plunged beneath the waves is a sky full of vibrant, living stars in every color imaginable. In the shock of cold, my body doesn't register what's happening quickly enough. I breathe in just as the water closes over my head and the stars become watercolor lights. My throat fills with water. The waves are shallow enough that I hit the ground and I'm able to bounce back breaking the surface of the water and gasping for air. I cough hard, waving my arms around frantically for a few seconds before finally settling on a normal rhythm of treading water. My coughing calms, and I manage to take a look around to get my bearings. The land is off to my right. I can see a long, silver shore under the stars and a row of bluffs just beyond. 
To my left, the sea seems to stretch on forever. I start paddling back toward the shore, occasionally coughing or clearing my throat to alleviate the burning sensation in the back of my throat. As I swim, I look around frantically for my friends. Where did they go? Are they okay? Did I bring them here with me or did I leave them somewhere in limbo? Something about the beach strikes a nerve. I think I recognize it, even though that doesn't totally make sense. The one other time I had been here in real life, when Sam and I came together, we had landed in a totally different spot with jagged cliffs and sharp inlets. Once I get close enough to shore to walk, I start searching for my friends in earnest, shouting for them. It's dark, but the stars give off enough light that once I get past the glare of the light on the water, I can make out the shape of my friends on the shore. My heart sinks. They're all lying on the ground. Not one of them has gotten up yet. I can't tell if they're moving or not. Are they all dead? Did I kill all of them in a single moment? I lurch forward, trying to lift my feet, but finding that the water drags them back down like they're weighted. My eyes land on Lana. She's the easiest to see out here, what with her copper hair and blue t-shirt. The rest of them are all dressed in black from the game. I stumble up toward the shore, and as I do, I see Lana's head roll to the side. And then I watch as she collects her limbs beneath her and pushes herself up onto her hands and knees. I take a deep breath and let it out, feeling the relief turning my muscles to jelly. If Lana's okay, then maybe the others are okay too. I run back to the shore, feeling the water pulling me down with every step. Lana is the first one on her feet, which should surprise no one at this point. She looks around and spots me and starts toward the water. The others are moving too, though Crown and June are a little slower getting up. Logan gets to his feet on his own and looks around for a moment as if stunned. I can hardly blame him for that. Crown helps June up while Lana continues toward me. Her face is set in the sort of quiet rage she rarely exhibits. She likes to pretend that she's all fire and brimstone, but in reality, you don't have to worry about her when she's being loud. You worry about her when she's quiet. She sloshes the last few yards into the ocean and joins me in spite of my attempts to get her to wait on the shore. There's no need for both of us to be soaking wet. What just happened? She snaps. Where are we? I wish I could tell her. I wish I could explain, but I can't. I still don't understand this place. I don't even entirely know why we came here. I don't even know if we can get out again. I never should have tried this, even if Crown thought I could do it. I should have just been honest enough to admit that it was a bad idea to try in those circumstances. Moving that many people after so many years without practice? How could I have possibly thought that was a good idea? Ivy, Lana continues, what did you do? Why did you bring us here? A wind picks up on the hill, and she spins around, searching the horizon. I've never seen her like this, but I can't blame her. This place is terrifying, and she has every right to be angry with me. I grab her arm, leading her back toward the group. She's freaking out, and I can't have her running off, doing something dumb. I can't have her acting like 
me. Crown meets us part way. So this place is real, he says, sounding eternally calm. Jovial even. Didn't see that coming. Lana stares at him. You knew about this place? She asks. Yeah, but I thought it was a dream, Crown says. He thought it was a dream, and I had almost convinced myself that I had imagined it. I walk back to Logan and June. They watch me as I approach, and I recognize the fear in their faces. They're afraid of this place, and I think they might be a little afraid of me, too. Again, I don't blame them. They may have known about my teleportation powers, but this place is not a part of what I told them. Somehow it just never felt right to share it. Overhead, the sky is half-clouded, and those purple clouds boil with a strange, pulsating light. It would have been absolutely gorgeous if I had time to think about it, but I don't. I have to get us out of here. I brought them here, and I'm responsible for getting them home in one piece. Even so, the sound of the wind distracts me for a moment. The wind whistles along the shore, and I look down the coast to see a river of loose sand skittering over the packed ground. It moves like water over rock, snaking along the rivulets in the dirt, creating new paths and new shapes of rushing sand and wind. It's beautiful, illuminated by starlight. Ivy, June says, breaking me out of my mesmerized state. I look up at her. We have to get out of here, whatever this is, she says. I nod, but my mind is partially drawn to something else. There's something about this beach that's so familiar to me. The wind running down the coast, the lavender clouds in the shape of the water as it curves and dips into this little cove. I guess I must have been here in my dreams. But then movement catches my gaze, and I turn to look at the bluffs above the beach. A shadow darts across the silvery trees, and my heart skips at the sight of it. My first thought is that I'm looking at one of the monsters, but the shape is too small and too quick and too thin. It looks more like a person. More like the shadow people that haunt my house and my dreams and my studio and my whole life. I really would have liked to think that I imagined all of it, that the ghosts of my childhood might not be real. But I'm sure that they are. I start toward the bluff. As scared as I am, I need to figure out what that thing is. Is it from here? Is this where it was born? What even is this place? I feel a hand on my shoulder. I turn around and find Lana's looking at me like she wants to rip my throat out. You cannot do this right now, she growls. Come back on your own time. Don't you dare leave us here. And of course I don't argue, because she's absolutely right. For just a moment, I'm back in the car with Sam after we saw the monster for that first time. He's asking me not to go down to the beach, and I'm about to ignore him. But this time I listen. This time it's obvious. So I nod at Lana. Of course, I say. Of course I can't leave him here. Of course I have to get them home. That other thing? Well, that's just going to have to wait. 
I gather them all around me again, and this time I tell myself that I'm confident that it's going to work. I'm going to be able to teleport them out of here. I have to. There's no other option. I grab Logan's hand and Lana's hands and close my eyes and take a breath and force my mind to calm itself down. And then, just like that, we're standing in the middle of Crown's apartment. For a moment, we stand there in a circle, still clutching each other's hands, still trying our best to pretend like things are going to be okay. June breaks first. She goes to call 911, which is the right move, of course. Still, I can't imagine going down to that beach and explaining what happened. Lana and Logan go to sit down on the couches, and I'm about to join them, except I remember I'm still drenched in salt water. Crown has these really beautiful green leather couches, and even though it seems like a silly thing to be thinking about right now, all I can think is that I don't want to ruin them with salt water. They would soak it up like a sponge and turn wrinkled and strange, and I just can't do that. But instead of going back to my apartment to change, I just stand there behind the couches, staring at Logan and Lana. I don't even realize I'm doing it until I find Lana staring back at me. Then I turn to the window instead. A moment later, Crown appears beside me. The cops are going to want to talk to all of us, he says quietly. I nod. I know this. But I'm not ready to move to that part of the night yet. I'm not ready to leave the part where I saw a good friend hanging in a tree. I'm not ready to leave the part where I probably could have saved him if things had been a little different and I had been a little more vigilant. Could I have saved Sam? Could I have saved him if we had just left like he said? I knew I could have. He would have been okay and I would have been happy. Even if it wasn't as happy as I hoped, it would have been better than this. I feel a hand on my shoulder. Come on, Crown says. He turns me toward the hallway, and I go with him to his room. When we reach his door, he smiles more kindly than I'm used to and pushes the door open. I've got some sweatpants and t-shirts that you can probably tie up to fit you reasonably, he said. You should change. Take a shower if you want. I nod, and Crown leaves, closing the door behind him. I don't shower, but I do change. Though by the time I'm done, I'm still not ready to go back. So instead, I sit down on the bed across from his bookshelf and take a look at what he's got. The shelf is sparse, but... The books that are there are meaningful and useful and smart. There's a book on Einstein's theory of relativity, several journalism classics, and a couple novels that have been on pretty much every year-end bestseller list. There's a knock on the door. Come in, I say. When the door opens, it's not Crown standing there. It's June. There you are she says, almost playfully. I can't imagine feeling playful right now, and though I admire her for it, I feel like my head is going to explode. Listen, she says, sitting down on the edge of the bed. 
I swear I was going to talk to you before all of this happened. This isn't just me trying to use tonight as a way to manipulate you or anything. I never would have thought you were doing that, June, I say. Okay. Do you think it's time to go home? Don't you think it's time to move back to Seattle? I hesitate. I think you'll find it much easier to convince your friends to come with you if that's relevant to your decision, she says. It is relevant, of course. Their safety has always been important to me. But there are other factors. I've never felt free to leave this place. Not after Sam disappeared. Somewhere deep down, I always imagined that Burning Rock held the key to what had happened. But June isn't wrong. Maybe I became complacent somewhere along the way, but I think it is time to take action. I think it's time to go home. I nod, even though I can't say it. She smiles at me and goes over to the bookshelf to start picking through the books like this is some kind of normal night. After a moment, she pauses and pulls one off the shelf. Hey, this is random, she says, but isn't this that book you told me went missing a while back? She shows me the cover, and I recognize it immediately as the monster picture book. She was right. It had gone missing sometime between the time that Sam disappeared and a few months ago when I had finally realized that it was absent. I had asked everyone about it. Lana had told me Sam had it the last time she saw it, and neither June nor Logan had known a thing about it. I even asked the librarian just in case Sam had returned it in some sort of strange Boy Scout type move, but the librarian had no idea either. And Crown, Crown had helped me look. So why would he have it in here now? Why hadn't he told me he found it? Did he take it? And if so, why? My head is spinning. Tonight has already been too much, and somehow this is the last crack in the teapot. Can I trust Crown? Suddenly I'm not so sure. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon. <laughs>